0: Postal Post Publishing, Publishing, the, the Going Postal Post Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration. Incarceration, the serialized the weekly, weekly podcast, podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This, this podcast, podcast is not suitable for children. It has, has violence, violence, gore, and lots and lots, and, lots and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, Go somewhere else. And, and now, now, on with, with the story, story, or whatever, whatever other crap I decided to come up with. Chapter 1 Brian Norman had always known that he would eventually die. He'd never considered that he'd only be wearing his underwear when it happened. He'd always believed that his death would come while he was driving on the highway, or maybe from a heart attack years from now. He never thought the end would come the way it did. He awoke from a dead sleep, feeling the familiar pains of hunger materializing in his belly. Brian was a large man, standing 6'5 and weighing 250 pounds. It wasn't surprising that he needed a lot of food, even at night. He glanced towards the clock. Letting his eyes focus, he read 321 on the large red LED display. He looked down at his wife Carol, who was still sleeping soundly. He took a moment to weigh his options. He wanted food but didn't want to disturb her. Her arm rested on his chest, making his silent escape even more difficult. As the rumbling in his stomach grew in intensity, he decided that he needed the food more than he feared Carol's irritation if he accidentally woke her. He carefully lifted her arm, pinching her wrist between two massive fingers and moving it until it was a safe distance from his body. He lowered her hand until it rested on her chest. She stirred momentarily, but turned over and became still. Brian slid out from underneath the covers and stood quickly. The hardwood floor felt like ice against his feet. The chill brought him out of the drowsy state he'd been in just moments before. A new hunger pang struck him as he walked into the hallway. There were two rooms up ahead, one on each side of the hallway. To the left was the bathroom, while the right belonged to their son Jesse. Straight ahead were the stairs that led down to the first floor. Feeling another familiar sensation, he chose the room on the left. He relieved himself, feeling instant pleasure as he did, and causing his eyes to roll up into the back of his head. He left the bathroom, took a left, and walked quietly towards the stairs. He moved down the stairs like a ninja, careful not to step on any spots that creaked. Once he was at the bottom of the stairs, he moved into a routine that he knew all too well. He walked into the kitchen and grabbed a bowl, spoon, milk, cereal, and a comic book. The comic book was the essential part of this ritual. He read old issues from the comic collection he'd had as a kid while he ate. There was nothing like eating a bowl of cornflakes or smacks while reading an issue of Superman or Batman from the 70s. He turned on the dining room light and placed his items onto the table. He sat down, putting the cereal into the bowl, the milk onto the cereal, and the spoon into the cereal. He opened an issue of Batman, holding it in his left hand while he ate with his right. A Joker issue, he thought. Seeing the familiar smiley-faced green-haired criminal, his enjoyment was short-lived. He stopped eating when he thought that he could hear footsteps coming from the living room. Coming alert, he stood at attention and looked out into the dark room. He saw nothing but darkness. Thinking that it was just his imagination, he sat back down and started eating again. He was about to put his third spoonful into his mouth when he felt a cool breeze caress his bare skin. It felt cold and raw not something he should have felt at this time of night. Brian looked around, wondering where the breeze was coming from. He walked into the living room, his food becoming nothing more than a forgotten memory. He entered the darkness, not really sure what he'd find. He saw a recliner, loveseat, coffee table, and one television. He looked to the walls, wondering if a window had been left open. He didn't see anything out of the ordinary. All the windows were closed. He wasn't sure what. His heartbeat quickened when his eyes moved to the front door. It suddenly became obvious why he'd felt the chill. The front door was open about six inches. At first he thought that Jesse had gone out for something, forgetting to latch the door on his way back in. He grabbed hold of the door and pulled it open. What he saw nearly stopped his heart completely. The outside of the door looked as if it had been butchered with a hatchet. Puzzle pieces fit together in his mind. He now understood why he thought he'd heard footsteps. Somebody had broken in. His body stiffened with the certainty that somebody was in the house, somebody who didn't belong. He walked quietly, avoiding making a sound. He stopped at a locked door. He felt along the upper frame for the hook containing the key. Finding it, he unlocked the door and entered his den, where he kept a pool table and an arsenal of guns. It was the guns he was after. He removed a key from the back of the gun cabinet and unlocked it. He reached inside and pulled a large case off the top shelf. He removed the object from within the case, unveiling his forty four magnum. He held it in his hand, feeling as if he had been reunited with some lost lover. The gun's metal felt cool against his monstrous palm. As he returned to the living room, he stopped suddenly. He heard movement upstairs. He listened quietly, trying to get a feel for where the intruder was. The element of surprise was in his favor, and he intended to take full advantage of it. The silence was broken when he heard a scream that chilled his soul. At first he thought he was just hearing things, that his imagination had created the scream. When he heard his son, he knew that something was wrong. Mom! Jesse yelled, his voice muffled by the floor between them. Brian heard footsteps start from Jessie's room and move towards the bedroom he shared with Carol. His mind raced with the possibilities of what could be happening. He was certain that there was an intruder, but now he couldn't help but think that the intruder had done something to his wife. He pictured her lying in the bed, a bruise developing on her right cheek. He saw her cowering in fear because her husband, all six-five of him, was nowhere to be seen. She was frightened because she had woken, looked for him, but he wasn't there to protect her. He shook his head, erasing the thoughts from his mind. How much time had he just wasted? One second? Maybe ten? It didn't matter how long. He had a gun and was about to protect his family from whoever it was that was upstairs with them. Brian cocked back the hammer and started for the stairs. He climbed the stairs, taking them two at a time, trying to get to the top as quickly as possible. He made it in four large strides. At the top, he slowed. He moved down the dark hallway, careful not to shoot anything that moved. His wife and son were up here somewhere. If he wasn't careful, he was likely to shoot one of them. He didn't know if he could live with himself if that ever happened. A flicker of movement at the end of the hall, from his bedroom, caught his attention. It was difficult to see anything because of the one lone window in the hallway. There was no moon out, so all he saw was ambient light from the street. He aimed the gun, careful to make sure he knew what he was aiming at before he pulled the trigger. The movement continued and was coming his way. It was a dark figure, walking towards him slowly. The figure moved as if it were staggering clumsily, nearly falling on more than one occasion. When the figure made it close enough to be seen in the window's dim light, Brian Norman became more frightened than ever. It was Jesse that had been walking towards him. He staggered closer, a look of surprise on his face. Both hands covered his throat as if he were choking himself. He made horrible gurgling sounds as if he were choking on saliva. Jesse's eyes met his father's. They stared at each other for a moment. Jesse's eyes changed, appearing as if he was relieved to see him, then suddenly fell forward, removing his arms from his throat and wrapping them around his father. "'What's wrong, Jess?' Brian asked in a whisper. He tried to pull his son away, but found him to be dead weight. Panic took over, forcing him to growl angrily. Jesse, what the hell is wrong? He felt something warm run down the front of his exposed skin. He thought it may have been piss, Jesse's piss, but realized that it was much too high. Whatever it was, it was coming from Jesse's upper half. He pressed Jesse away from his body, keeping him at arm's length. The front of Jesse's pajamas was dark, much darker than the light blue pajamas he'd gone to bed in. Brian looked down and saw that his own chest was covered in a dark substance. Blood. Jesse's blood. Jesse's upper body was covered in it, and now so was he. "'Jesse, oh my God!' Brian said, restraining himself from speaking above a whisper. Despite his urge to shout out and losing all control of his emotions, he managed to keep himself in check.' He wanted to scream out for his son, but chose not to. The element of surprise was still on his side, but he didn't know for how much longer. His fingers moved to Jesse's throat. That certainty grew in intensity when his fingers froze just inches from his neck. His eyes grew larger as his mind comprehended what he was looking at. His body convulsed when he realized that Jesse looked different. His mind strained as he processed what was there, or more accurately, What wasn't there? His son's throat was gone. As impossible as it seemed, Jesse's throat was no longer there. Shreds of skin and a large hole were all that remained. Blood had poured from the hole, covering both he and Jesse, but no longer. Blood no longer flowed from this wound because Jesse's heart had stopped beating. Jesse was dead. How could that be? He was only sixteen years old. Sixteen-year-old kids don't get murdered. How could the boy that Brian used to bounce on his knee and take to Little League games now be dead? It was all too much for his mind to process. He wanted to scream. He wanted to shout. He wanted to empty the gun into the nearest wall. All of his anger and frustration bubbled to the surface, begging to be let out in one massive display of aggression. He would let his anger out all right. Whoever did this to his son was about to wish that they'd never been born. Whoever fucked with his family was about to die. He ran into the bedroom. His gun extended out before him. His eyes scanned everything, looking for the man that murdered his son and was doing God knew what to his wife. Their bedroom was even darker than the hallway. He flipped the light switch as he entered the room, but nothing happened. The light must have burned out. His only light source was one window with the curtains drawn. It was next to impossible to see anything, let alone an intruder. Yet, he found that he could make out some shapes and saw that there was somebody standing over his bed, leaning over his wife. That wasn't the most frightening thing, however. Worse than seeing the image of a man standing over his wife was the sound. It took a moment to process, but he thought that it sounded like somebody slurping a milkshake through a straw. The sound sent chills up his spine and left him more concerned for Carol than ever. Brian didn't wait to make his presence known. He couldn't allow the intruder a chance to defend himself. He aimed the gun the best he could and pulled the trigger. The figure was forced backwards, staggered, and dropped to the floor. Brian moved to the bed, hoping against hope that his wife was okay. He caressed her with his hands. He wasn't at all too shocked when he felt that warm, sticky wetness that he'd first felt coming from Jessie. No! he screamed, letting the word carry in his throat for a while. There was no denying the fact that Carol was dead as well. This guy had killed her, just as he'd killed Jesse. Anger unlike anything he'd ever felt before coursed through his veins. He became aware of the fact that one bullet wasn't enough for this guy. No way. This bastard wasn't going to get off that easy. He deserved so much more than that. He had several more bullets that were itching to find a new home, and he intended on giving them just that. He moved to the other side of the bed. The man was still on the floor, squirming to get to his feet. Brian didn't hesitate. He moved into position, aimed the gun, and pulled the trigger again and again until there was nothing left but the click of an empty gun. Bullets ripped through the intruder, taking chunks of flesh and bone with them. Brian looked at the man on the floor. He didn't move. Brian had killed him. He felt no remorse. He dropped the gun to the floor listening as it struck the hardwood with a dull thud. He bowed his head, then turned back towards Carol's body. What was he supposed to do now? The logical answer was to call the police. Let them investigate what happened. His mind froze when he realized that he would soon be making funeral arrangements for his wife and child. Something cold, possibly a hand, touched him on the shoulder. He shivered under the touch. Not knowing what to expect, he turned around slowly and was shocked to see the man he'd shot several times, a man he knew to be dead, standing before him, his mouth hanging open. Brian, a former amateur boxer, didn't hesitate. He cocked back and slammed his right fist into the left side of the man's face. He heard the sound of bones crunching beneath his impact. As the man fell to the ground, he realized that the man's bones had broken far too easily. How could this man have killed his family, taken several bullets, and then shattered as if he were made of glass? He didn't have long to think about it. Bryant watched in amazement as the man stood up, looking as if there was no bullet wound or injury to his jaw. There were no visible wounds, even though pieces of him had been shot off just moments before. Clothes were tattered, torn, and had visible bullet holes, yet there was no blood or sign of injury. Brian studied the contour of the man's face even through the darkness, and was amazed to see that it appeared as if he hadn't been hit at all. It was as if his face had healed in less than fifteen seconds. "'What the hell are you?' Brian asked, wondering if the intruder was human. The man cocked his head to the side, as if he was considering the question. Seconds passed before the man spoke. He said only one word, but it made Brian sick to his stomach. "'Death!' the man hissed in an unnatural voice. Brian's nerve broke. He was now convinced that this wasn't a man at all. Brian no longer felt the desire to avenge the deaths of Carol and Jesse. Survival instincts take it over. All he could think about was getting as far away from this thing as possible. He turned and ran. He moved down the hallway quickly, slowing down only when he jumped over his dead son. A hand grabbed Brian by the shoulder, stopping him cold. Strength unlike anything Brian had ever experienced turned him around, forcing him to be face-to-face with a man who wasn't really a man. There was something different about the man's face. He looked exactly the same except his eyes focused on what he saw. There was something different about his mouth. Pain erupted from Brian's throat. Had the intruder even moved? He wasn't sure. Brian struggled for freedom. Brian felt helpless to do anything to stop this man. He found that his size and strength was useless against him. He felt as weak as a five-year-old girl. If he didn't do something, he would surely die because of it. The man released him. Brian staggered backwards, realizing that he was coming dangerously close to the stairs. He momentarily considered sending himself down the stairs, ending it all. He believed that the fall would allow him to join his family more quickly. When his hand moved to his throat, he realized the end would come soon enough. Where his throat should have been was a large hole surrounded by jagged, torn skin. He felt warm, sticky blood as it gushed from the wound and flowed down the front of his body like a river, covering the blood Jesse had gotten on him earlier. He knew that nobody could lose as much blood as he was and still live to talk about it. As his fingers continued probing, he discovered that there was no way he was ever going to talk about anything ever again. Everything in his throat was gone. He knew this when his hands touched a large, jagged bone. He didn't need to be a doctor to know that this was his spine. Small grooves ran through the bone, a product of the weapon this man used. His eyes regained their focus as he came to realize what the weapon was. Fresh blood ran down the front of the intruder's face. He'd cut through flesh and bone using only his teeth. Was that even possible? He would have thought about it some more, "'but something was happening to him. "'Yes, he was dying, "'but that wasn't all that was happening to him. "'There was something, ever so faint, "'in the back of his mind, calling out to him. "'It was a voice, weak but growing in strength and intensity. "'It was saying something that he couldn't quite make out. "'The man who killed his family was all but forgotten "'as the voice continued building in strength, "'growing in sound, as it seemed to overtake him little by little.' Soon, the voice was loud and clear, echoing in his mind. Brian Norman dropped to his knees, then fell face first to the floor. The beast that looked like a man knelt down next to him and whispered something into his ear. He couldn't hear what he had said, seeing as the voices in his head were loud enough to drown out a train. He had no way of knowing that the beast said only three words, the same three words that were repeating in his mind over and over again. With that, Brian Norman died. The last thing he heard was the voice in his mind continuously repeating the words, Death has come. Chapter 2 Jason Wrangle lurched forward suddenly, his body covered in a fresh layer of sweat. He stared at the far wall, wondering what had happened. He held his hands out in front of him. They shook uncontrollably. He pressed them against his chest, trying to hold them still. He looked around his bedroom, trying to get a grip on reality. He'd been dreaming. He breathed in a sigh of relief, realizing that it had been nothing more than a bad dream. Jason had awoken from the most unusual nightmare he'd experienced in his 17 years of life. His dream was so vivid that it could have been real. It was as if he was actually living that dream over and over again even now as it slowly erased itself from his mind. Within seconds, he couldn't remember what he'd exactly dreamt. It was funny how dreams seemed to disintegrate so shortly after waking. The one thing he couldn't forget were the teeth. He could see large, blood-stained teeth. The image in his mind was so vivid that he swore that he could still see chunks of flesh dangling from razor-sharp teeth that couldn't belong to any human. The teeth had ripped through him, eating him to bits. The dream, even after waking, scared him immensely. He shook his head, trying to get the remaining cobwebs out of his mind. He needed to get a hold of himself and retake control of his mind. He did so, but it wasn't easy. This dream had been strong and didn't want to give up its hold on his mind. He closed his eyes. His body jerked when he saw an image of long, sharp, blood-stained teeth. He opened his eyes again, not wanting any part of that vision. His mouth was agape. Had he yelled out? Maybe. He didn't want anything more to do with the dream, even if it meant keeping his eyes open for the rest of his life. He looked at the alarm clock. He still had almost an hour before he needed to be up to get ready for school. He was tired, but found sleep to be the furthest thing from his mind. Finding himself afraid that he might see that horrible image again, he decided that it was time to get up. He walked out of his room, taking a right and heading down the stairs. He entered the living room and turned on the television, then his Nintendo 64. There was nothing like a game of Super Mario 64 to get him ready for the day ahead. It also did wonders for helping him keep his mind temporarily off that dream. He played until time forced him to stop to get ready for school. No sooner had he turned off the game, he found himself thinking about those bloody and gory teeth again. It was as if it had been permanently burned into his consciousness. He wanted it gone, but couldn't think of any other ways to make it go away. He left for school, not seeing his mother or father. That was nothing new. His father, Gary, was at work. He wouldn't be home for another two hours. His mother, Mary, liked to sleep in. He'd been making sure that he got himself fed, showered, and ready for school for the last five years. He usually didn't see them until he got home from school. As he left the house, he stopped. His attention was grabbed by something down the street, opposite from the direction he was heading. He was shocked to see several flashing lights filling the morning. Two police cars, two ambulances, a fire truck, and one car with the word CORONER stamped on the side were parked outside the Norman house. People scurried about like mindless drones, moving in and out of the house. One lone cop was wrapping police tape around the scene. He knew that something bad must have happened. His first instinct after seeing the coroner was that Brian Norman must have killed his wife. He must have found out that she'd been cheating on him. Hell, the whole neighborhood knew about her affair with the mailman while he was at work. They all knew about the special delivery she'd been receiving on an almost daily basis. The only one that didn't seem to know anything about it was Brian. Well, maybe he had found out. Jason had always wondered what would happen if he did. He shrugged off the idea. That sort of thing didn't happen in Niagara, Wisconsin. The town was small. There were less than 2,000 citizens. The only reason that there were that many people was because of the large paper mill where his father worked, located at the center of town across from the high school. Other than that, there wasn't much more than a grocery store, two churches, and three bars to add to the scenery. The idea of somebody going berserk and killing his wife was preposterous in Niagara, Jason did suspect, however, that if anybody was capable of killing somebody, it was Brian. The man was an absolute beast. He was the biggest man that Jason knew. He'd watch Brian lift up the back end of his car when he was drunk, showing off for some of his drinking buddies. It was the most impressive display of strength he'd ever seen. One thing that his father had always told him was to stay on Brian Norman's good side. It was good advice that he'd always followed. He started his daily walk toward school. He didn't need to walk. He had his own car. But he didn't see a reason for driving to school when it didn't take very long to walk there. Besides, saving money on gas was a necessity. Working for minimum wage after school didn't give him very much money, so cutting corners was essential when gas had risen to nearly $2 a gallon. He couldn't imagine the prices getting any higher. Jason hadn't taken more than a dozen steps before he realized that somebody was walking next to him. He turned and saw that Nathan Paulson had joined him. Jason almost jumped at the sight of him. Nathan wasn't the sort of guy that he normally hung out with, even though he lived just down the street from Jason. In fact, Nathan lived right across the street from the Normans. That's what happens in small towns. Everybody knows everybody. Did you fucking see that? Nathan asked, smacking Jason on the shoulder with the palm of his hand. Jason winced at the contact. See what? Jason asked, not exactly sure what he was talking about. He suspected it had something to do with the scene at the Normans. He knew that Nathan would have had a much better view than what he'd seen. "'All of the bodies!' Nathan said. His voice showed a little too much excitement for the conversation. "'You didn't see the bodies?' "'What bodies?' he asked, but already knew the answer. He'd already suspected that something bad had happened at the Normans. Maybe Brian really had killed his wife.' The whole fucking family, Nathan continued. I was up half the morning and watched as they brought all three bodies out on stretchers. Blood! Holy shit! I know it was still dark out, but did you see all that blood? He didn't give Jason the chance to answer. I've never seen anything like it. I don't understand why they brought them out covered in white sheets. Doesn't the corner have a body bag or something? I don't know. He honestly didn't, nor did he care. To be honest. I think they did that on purpose. They wanted everybody to see what happened. Maybe they're trying to make the killer nervous. Killer? Jason asked. He was still under the assumption that it was a murder, possibly a murder-suicide, brought on by infidelity. He'd never even considered the idea that somebody else could have murdered them. Somebody had to have killed them, Nathan said. Didn't you hear the gunshots? Jason shook his head. He hadn't heard them. It wasn't the gunshots that woke me up, though. It was the screaming. My window was open a crack and I heard it clear as a bell. Damn, near pissed my pants. I went to the window to see what was happening. I knew the screams belonged to Jesse's mom. A little later is when I heard the gunshots. Shortly after that, I saw somebody leave the house. Who? How the fuck should I know? Nathan snarled. Do you think I was looking at him through night vision goggles? "'It was dark out, and we don't exactly have the brightest streetlights in the world. "'All I saw was a black shadow walking from the Norman house. "'I stayed down, but I know the bastard saw me. "'He stopped and looked my way. "'Then he walked off.' "'Shouldn't you be telling this to the police?' "'No fucking way!' Nathan shouted, "'loud enough to be heard by an elderly woman grabbing her newspaper from the sidewalk nearby. "'She shook her head and walked back towards her house,' her newspaper tucked under her right arm. After they sent me to juvie, fuck the police. They're all damn lucky that I don't look for ways to get them kicked off the force. Each one of them is up to no good, yet they make me go away because they catch me with a small amount of dope. Damn hypocrites are what they are. Weren't you also drunk at the time? Jason asked, having heard stories about Nathan's encounter with the law. Details, details. That's not what's important. Those bastards had no right doing that to me. Jason wasn't so sure about that. He'd known Nathan for a long time and knew about the problems he'd been in. The dope just happened to be the straw that broke the camel's back. He'd been well on his way to juvenile detention long before then. Jason was surprised that he was still in school and not in jail, especially after he punched the principal in the face last year. Somehow, that had all gone away. A police car passed them. Jason instantly recognized the driver. It was Chief of Police Randy Thompson. Must be on his way to the crime scene, Jason thought. At the moment, he wished he could be with the chief. Just about anything would have been better than listening to Nathan Paulson rant about why he didn't deserve to have been sent to juvie. The torture continued until they arrived at school ten minutes later. That wouldn't be the end of it. You've been listening to The Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com/goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com/goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012 Going Postal Publishing.